I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach. And today with us we have a very special guest, dear friend of mine, Sapna Gopalakrishnan. And today's podcast is very different from the kinds of podcasts we've done in the past. You know that we've been doing a series of, you know, being at our rock bottoms and understanding how do we deal with this and sharing stories so that we can empower each other. You know, we can see that there is hope. We can see a different way of approaching our lives. And I wanted to bring Sapna onto the Habit Coach podcast because her story is absolutely fascinating. I think she's one of the people that I would consider a hero. I met Sapna when we were doing our Kilimanjaro trek. She's a fellow trekker. She's done Everest Base Camp and things like that. And we were doing Kilimanjaro and we submitted Kilimanjaro and stuff like that. And we obviously, when you were trekking with somebody for so many days, you get very close, you discuss life and everything. And I think the personality that is Sapna is something that I want all of us to understand and, you know, maybe imbibe in a little bit of us. So Sapna, welcome to the Happy Coach Podcast. Thank you, Ashton. That was a really nice intro. You forget to mention the loose schedules as well, which we discussed in Kilimanjaro. I think once you start trekking, you get to know the most intimate personal details being the whole loose schedules and everything. So I can say that I know you super well now, Ashton. Loose schedules are the most important thing on any trekking, right? You can like, I think by day 15, you can look at somebody's face and realize what's happening to them, to their internal bowel system. It's so funny. Yeah. And also going by the number of Ayurvedic related podcast shows that you've had, now you know that that's the most important thing, right? In life. (laughs) Absolutely. Sapna, thank you so much for coming and, you know, sharing this story with us. So Sapna, tell us, take us through the journey. What happened? Okay, there's a reason. Okay, I'm wearing the same dress that I actually wore just just before I fell sick. And it's sort of to remind me that life is full circle. It's actually coincidentally, uh, I picked this up and then I realized that, yeah, I was absolutely fine. No major issues apart from your usual like sinus, blah, blah. Uh, I remember going to Humpy, coming back and just getting a very mild sort of throat ache. Checked with the doctor, took antibiotics, had basic fever. I think in about two, three, Three days, everything just went downhill, right? Like my super low, I was puking, I couldn't get up from the bed. And I had like this really bad, like weird swelling on the left side of my neck, uh, which I knew was not normal. I rushed to the hospital and, you know, it was 9, 10 p.m. And they asked us to go to another hospital because they said that this is an ENT issue. Uh, so here I am thinking in my head that, okay, you know, fine, I'm going to be admitted to the hospital, get drips, blah, blah, get back in a day or two, right? And then suddenly I think I just like blanked out. I remember asking to see two people and I don't know why or for what reason. And then the next day I know I have blacked out, right, completely. And uh, so... So then uh, finally I woke up in in a hospital uh, in the ICU with like multiple tubes coming out of me through every hole and there was no hole, they made a hole. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, those, those catheter discussions we had. Yes, yes, I remember that. But yeah, so, and, and I was like, kind of, I was having major hallucinations, right? Because I was heavily drugged. Obviously, I didn't know that. And uh, okay, I'm just going to digress a little bit. So, and I'll tell you what exactly happened and not just, what happened when I woke up. So when I woke up and then later on, of course, about day two later, I got to know that I've had what is called as uh, septicemia or septic shock, uh, which basically happens when bacteria enter your bloodstream and start shutting down all the organs. That's just in layman's terms, because I'm not a doctor and this is what I was told. So it basically starts shutting down all the organs. So I was with multiple organ failure and coma uh, for about two weeks, close to two weeks. 
on life support. Uh, my heart was racing at like 170. So I was literally running a marathon for a week. Right. Um, and so I was in dialysis, liver failure, kidney failure, basically everything, right? Uh, and um, so I woke up and ironically, the first thing that I thought of was, so I couldn't speak, right? So they uh, basically shut my vocal cords, think because so to not expend more energy because I had no energy. And, and the first thing was like, oh my God, I can't talk. You know, that was like a bloody big shock. Not the fact that I had tubes and I was sitting in an ICU with like really random people around me. But the fact that I couldn't talk was like my biggest nightmare, right? And I also had like music exams coming up. And I remember seeing my husband and he was smiling at me. And I'm like, is he mad? Like I'm sitting in a hospital and why is he smiling at me? And I'll tell you why this is important, right? I'll tell you later why this is actually important. So he came to me and uh, so I'm like miming to him. I'm like, listen, I have music exams coming up in, uh, what is today's date? What is today's date? And uh, he's like, because in my head, I was admitted in the hospital on the 7th of November. And I'm like, okay, it's possibly 8th or 9th or whatever. And I still have, okay, two weeks to practice. And then uh, I'm at least I'm a music teacher that I can't do my exams or I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to do it really badly. So whatever, blah, blah. So he's just smiling and he's like, okay, listen, just chill. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll tell him. And, uh, and then, um, yeah. And then of course, slowly I get to know what has happened and uh, because they obviously can't break the news all at once uh, in, in case something happens. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, so this is what had happened basically. How were you told about this? How was this broken up for you? Yeah, so basically, my husband basically told this to me in like bits and pieces because I kept hearing doctors coming and doing this, you know, leg of my bed and I'm like wondering what the hell is wrong. Are they discussing me? Are they discussing another patient? So yeah, nightmare situation, right? I was in an ICU, but not in an isolated room. I don't know why. I was with like about... 10 other people were separated by curtains and uh, it was just crazy, right? Because you could hear other people screaming, yelling. Uh, you could hear the, the hospital announcements going on and like typical Grey's Anatomy style, there's like code red, code blue and people dying. And, and then somebody, you know, I can hear nurses say, oh, ye bed khali hai. you know, this bed is empty. This person has died. And I'm like, okay, what the hell is happening? So I have no idea. And I was hallucinating so badly, actually had this, image in my head of uh, a girl sitting next to me and her parents and they have no heads, right? The heads have computers or like those, you know, old style Dabbaya style computers on their head. And uh, the girl next to me has like a broken leg and her leg is on me. And I'm like, why the hell can't they give her another bed? Why is she sitting on my bed and she's putting her leg on me? And I can't obviously tell the doctors anything because I couldn't talk. And uh, and then uh, after a while, this girl started like comforting me, telling me, no, no, don't worry. Everything is fine. And in my head, I'm like, uh, where's R2-D2? Why can't I find R2-D2? So I'm a Star Wars fan. And it's like really weird shit like this. And uh, yeah, so I also saw like my friends standing. Uh, so in my head, uh, basically my friends are not allowed to come and visit me because I'm somewhere in some uh, computer hospital. Okay, that's what I had in my head because there are like these really old robots and computers all around. And uh, so these guys are actually trying to camouflage themselves and standing like those cutout figures against the walls. And they're trying to see me. But nobody's coming near me. And I'm like, why aren't you coming here and talking? Why are you only talking amongst yourself? So all kinds of weird hallucinations, right? And uh, so how it was broken down was uh, very little by little. So I was initially told that, okay, look, you've been in the hospital for like two, three, two, two and a half weeks now. Uh, and you've had like a couple of issues. Two and a half weeks, huh? just to put things in perspective, two and a half weeks and zero recall of that time. Thank God for that. Because like, apparently I was, my blood started coagulating and they had to like, so every time they tried uh, putting a tube in, like through somewhere, puncturing a hole, the blood started coagulating and they didn't know what to do. 
So it was quite crazy because the organs were not receiving blood. And uh, so I think some of the drugs that they gave, and this is typical in septicemia, which I read later, is that uh, gangrene sets in because the capillaries, uh, which are really small, which are at the fingers and toes and hair, etc., which the body considers as non-essential uh, because the body's trying to divert blood to the major organs. So that starts shutting down. And that was another thing, right? Because I'm like wondering, why are they taking blood? So they were trying to take blood from my thumb, etc. And I was like, why is it looking black and blue? And strangely, right? For some reason, I, I wasn't scared looking at it because, I mean, imagine looking at your hands and they look like burnt black things sticking out, right? But here I was like, okay, I've, I've seen something like this in Grey's Anatomy. And I know that, uh, okay, they might possibly try and do some grafting or whatever or do some therapy or maybe amputate. I don't know. So in my head, all these things are just going on, right? Uh, and I think the first thing that my husband came and told me is, thank God you remember things, right? Because so apparently they were worried that my brain, uh, there was an issue uh, with the brain as well because of blood supply. They weren't sure if blood supply to the brain was okay. They weren't able to figure out if brain was uh, working. And, uh, but luckily I didn't have like a Macon who Kahamu types moment when I woke up. And also I think the way I woke up was like really filmy, right? So... See, I think the best part was that you were working on 25% capacity of your brain in any case all through this part of your life, right? So now it was not that much that you had to really worry about. Uh, huh? uh, 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 uh. So, See, when I was talking to you, I had to come down to your level. So that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think everyone tried different methods of waking me up. I think somebody even slapped me, okay? And whoever that is, want to find them and slap the shit out of them but I think some doctor did uh, apparently mm. try and slap me and then my dad comes up with this idea of uh, playing a song that I had sang uh, which I had recorded on my mom's phone and she had sent it to my dad so my dad is like okay listen I've seen it in movies let's try it and see and everyone's like okay try it because you've tried everything what have you got to lose and, and being the vain person that I am I actually woke up listening to my own work are you serious <laughs> I am not kidding and in my head, the hallucination is like, uh, oh, why is, uh, am I singing? But I can't talk. How am I singing? But where am I singing? And I had this weird hallucination that there's some guy who's 85 or 90 years old. Apparently, he's like the custodian of the hospital. I don't know what that means. And he comes and tells me, oh, uh, oh, oh don't worry. Everything will be fine. You will sing again. So very filmy. I have no idea how all these things came. And if these people are real, I have no idea what. Uh, so that's how I woke up. And uh, yeah, so um, it was just crazy, right? Because my family and friends, for them, obviously, the two and a half weeks was hell because they didn't know uh, if I'm going to live or die or whatever because apparently the doctors... It was pure torture. Yeah, it was torture for them, right? Because, uh, I mean, I'm smiling now, but I heard it later on and I realized, okay, that must have been crazy because like every day the doctors would be like, oh, 20% chance of survival, 10%, 5%, and nobody's telling them anything, right? Because... It's typically like how they show you in the movies because the doctors themselves don't know. And it took them about three days to even figure out what happened. And then, you know, they had pumped me with a lot of drugs, etc. So, uh, yeah, so it was just... Like, I remember hearing this when I was in Goa. We were on a holiday and Prashant, your husband had called me up. And I was telling me about this and, and I couldn't even begin to imagine this because like you said, everything happened so suddenly. And I want the listeners to understand that everything happened so fast that you had no clue about what was happening. Neither did the family know. And we were like, you just said, you know, it was 20% chance when I first spoke to Prashant, then it became 10%, then like you said, 5%. And we didn't know like what was happening. And, um, and, and that is a, a different form of trauma altogether. You know, when you see a loved one in hospital going through that. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I can't even imagine what they went through, right? I think that's another thing. 
people assume, I mean, obviously people are going to come up to you and say, oh, really nice, uh, really great, you've survived. And obviously they ask about you, but they don't really ask about the family members, which, and I think the trauma that they have suffered is so huge because they have to live with that, right? They've gone through everything. Yeah. And um, I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am for the fact that I did not know what happened. Uh, that's the first thing that everyone told me that like, you know, you're really lucky, be happy that you don't know what happened. Because if I had, then maybe I wouldn't have survived, right? I think sometimes like, ignorance is bliss. Uh, it, it truly worked in my case. So I woke up and for me, everything was about the little things, right? So like I told you, um, like I couldn't, so just two or two and a half weeks of lying down, the muscles had just atrophied, right? It was crazy. Uh, I've only read about sports people being in coma, you know, about Michael Schumacher, etc. And how they, the, the body can't move. And then you realize that the body is so beautiful that you haven't used it. And it's it has become like uh, a sack. I literally couldn't move my neck. And just give you a background. So I'm what I consider as very independent, right? Like I'm a middle child and I've always prided myself on, no, oh, I've done everything on my own. You know, nobody did anything for me. So I've always had this thing. And here I am at the mercy of all these doctors and nurses and I'm not finding fault with anybody. But to me, I just felt like they were treating me like just something lying over there, right? Because they have multiple patients and I'm just a thing there. Yeah, not a person. Yeah, not a person, right? And And like... I would be in tears. Like, I'd be like, why are they doing this to me? So like, they would literally move me from left to right, like, fatak, like that. Just throw me from one side of the bed to the other. Like, if I had to change my clothes and it just basic, so just like the basic things in life, right? Like food, shelter, and just like going to the loo, like you said, these were like the most important things and I needed help for everything. And I think that was, like, I felt so ashamed asking for help. And then I realized, okay, there's nothing wrong in asking for help. I think, and then I came to terms with that and sort of accepted it. Okay, look, this has happened. Now there is no choice. I have to listen to what they tell me. And it's okay to get help, right? It's, it's okay to not say, oh, I'm this really strong person. I don't need your help. So I think, like, like I said, I couldn't move my neck. Yeah. And I'm like, so the first two days I was focusing on that, you know, trying to move my neck. And slowly I was able to do it. And that was like a huge victory. I couldn't move my arm like up. And that was like a huge victory when I tried doing that. Just walking, right? I, I would cry in pain because I couldn't sit up. Like my spine wasn't strong enough to support me. Um, and uh, it was crazy, right? Like, I, and I was like, what is happening? You know, this is like, this is not me. You know, like I couldn't drink water. Uh, and, uh, you know, these are, and I'm telling you these little things because these are things that we take for granted, right? I, I wasn't able to drink water and I wasn't able to eat food because they were feeding me through like uh, liquids through the nose, etc. It was like, ugh, it was so bad. And uh, because obviously I think my, uh, I had got pneumonia and, and they couldn't afford like water getting in the lungs, etc. You wouldn't believe it. I had to be trained after seven days of waking up to chew my food, to eat. I had to be taught, re-taught how to eat. And you know what a big foodie I am, right? In my head, I'm like, are you to tell me how to eat, man? I'm like a foodie. I can do this. I can do that. But I had to be taught to and uh, to move my tongue because in these two and a half weeks, everything had slowed down. And somewhere it was possibly like a call from the universe uh, for me to slow down. I don't know. That's what I, I have to take it as. Um, and uh, slow down, do things, look uh, uh, look at the, the bigger picture, etc. Uh, and, and uh, you know, like I said, so walking, three people had to hold me, right? And uh, I had lost like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 kilos and I was like a bag of bones in the hospital. 
So uh, I have curly hair, right? So I follow like curly girl method and you're not supposed to comb your hair when it's like dry, etc. And that was my biggest worry because the nurse was taking the brush and like combing my She's like, why is your hair not going out? Pulling my hair and she used a rubber, rubber band, man. She didn't use like a cloth thing. She used a rubber, rubber band and pulled my hair out. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? So I was actually worried about this without realizing what other bigger issues were actually going on. Uh, so, um, but I think it's these little things which kept me going, right? Like, um, I, I don't know, at least that's what I believe. Um, and uh, I would look at the nurses, like I would look at them drinking water and for lack of a better word, lustfully, like I was literally, I would literally look at them like, like oh, they're drinking water. Can I get water? And I would dream about having watermelon for some reason. Uh, I, I pictured myself on a beach having watermelon. I, I watched some really bad movie and, and I had a dream that night where this, this actor has invited me to his house and uh, they're serving sushi. And you won't believe it. I could taste the sushi in my mouth. And I woke up thinking, oh, I've had sushi. And then I'm like, no, I'm in the hospital. So it was like, <laughs> I don't know how to, if this makes any sense to you. Uh, but these are the things that I remember. And uh, funnily, and I've always, and this is something which uh, I've seen through my life, right? Every time I've had an issue, obviously it seems so bad at that point in time. But when I look back and think about it, I can only think of the nice things that have happened. Like, of course, when I'm narrating to people, I do tell them, okay, look, this happened, this happened. But I can only think of the nice. I had so many people come and visit me. It, it's not funny. Like people that I didn't know or I thought didn't care about or I thought I didn't care about, they were there. I had like a very close friend of mine came down from Singapore. I had like, like family that I haven't seen in thousand years Everybody was there, right? To support my husband, to support Prashant. I had ex-colleagues making like breakfast and idli and coffee for him. And it was really sweet. Like, and then you realize that, you know, you aren't really not alone in anything. You know, you can pretend to be alone and it's okay to take time off, etc. But ultimately it's, I mean, I know it's cliche, but love does make the world go around. I mean, you know, and that feeling is so nice, right? It's just, it was... I, that really kept me going. Like, and I was telling you, right? Like my husband came in and he would smile and I was like wondering why is he smiling? But those are the little things that actually helped. He behaved like it was all okay. And I'm like, he's like, oh, you're, you're fine. You're getting okay. This is what happened. But now you're fine. He would show me WhatsApp messages from all my friends every day. You know, things like that because nobody was allowed to visit me. Just the little things that kept me going. So people are not allowed to visit me. But on one day, I think it so happened that a friend of mine was there. And the doctor said, okay, look, she's, she's a little agitated. So you can go in. And this, this guy comes in and he annoyed the hell out of me for 40 minutes. And, and I was very happy actually at the end of it all. Because we were like doing, uh, we were miming. And I was like miming. And he was like trying to guess. And he wasn't guessing. And he was pissing the hell out of me and I'm like telling him go but you know these are the things that really kept me going and it was I felt happy that people were treating me normal like they were treating me like how they would always treat me right it's like so I was really happy and you know Sapna before going ahead we'll take a quick break and we are back and you know, Sapna, before you continue on that, this entire point that you said about people are treating me normally like I would have normally been. And this is such an important thing because it is not about what the person was doing to you, but I think because of the energy you were putting out. Like I'll tell you, when I came to meet you at the hospital the first time around, I was obviously nervous. I didn't know what to expect. Didn't know what to do. But when you and I spoke, it was just like old times, right? It was like absolutely normal. There wasn't like, oh, you poor thing, you've gone through this. And none of that was happening. As an animate, fun of me. So yeah. The fun of me is part of our <laughs> the way that we interact. 
that was the thing, right? We were joking about it, thing we were taking that, and I think it was your attitude towards it that I think made people comfortable, and I think a large part of your healing process also happened because of that. No, I definitely think so. I think the whole. Um, so I've always believed in the mind-body connect. I've been one of those weird people where if I eat something, I can feel it within five minutes. I can feel the food going down, and I know, okay, this is screwing up my body, and it's not okay. So. I- been one of those kind of people but I feel it now even more and I think that you can definitely heal yourself right and I've seen that I don't know calling it a miracle seems right but yeah if you want to call it a miracle yeah I mean it's like like you said right like I was just happy that all you guys were coming and seeing me and like I said treating me like everything was normal Honestly, to me, I didn't see any other way. I mean, for me, it was like, look, and I remember doctors coming and telling me or people coming and telling me, oh, septicemia, you'll be in the hospital for like at least six months. It's going to take you at least a year to start walking. And in my head, I'm like, no, I'm going to be out. You see, by March, I'm going to be out. And I was telling this to everybody, to every doctor who came in, I was fighting with them. And I was telling all my friends, yeah, yeah, March, I'll come. Like one of my friends is like, uh, uh, when do we go? And I said, yeah, March, we'll, we'll go. So in my head, it was March, 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 March. So I don't know. Uh, I just said it. It's not like I knew about it, but I just said it like, okay, I know it's all going to be fine. I went in. Like we were planning our trek, next trek when you were sitting in the hospital bed. Yeah, I know. I was like, look, I want to do that next. So that's where I want to be. And I remember telling the physios this, that, you know, I want to go on a trek. And then she was, she was laughing and she said, no, no, don't worry. We'll get you there. Uh, In fact, I remember changing a physio because one of those physios was really like pessimistic. And she was like, "Uh, no, no, you can't do this, do that. And I was like, okay, I don't like you. So I'm going to go to somebody else. And I think that's also important, right? Because when you see yourself around negativity, I think the best thing to do is just remove yourself from it. Either you kick them out, tell them, okay, look, this is how I am, you run away, or you just remove yourself. So, and also I think I was very, very lucky in so many ways because I had number one, support of people around. I think that's very important. And like you say, I, and I don't know if it's, it's my energy giving that out or their energy giving this out. It's like a symbiotic thing, right? It's like a non-vicious circle, lack of a better word. So yeah, so one is I had people around me. It helped me reconnect with a lot of my family. My mother was around for a long time. And she's one of these really practical, happy-go-lucky people, right? Like I remember her coming and like everybody around was like, oh, you know what? What's going on? They were like crying. And she was like, listen, yeah, yeah, she'll be fine. Don't worry. And then she'll start saying, oh, by the way, you know, that serial, this is what happened. So she was like that. And I think that rubbed off on me. I'm so, so grateful for that, you know, like to someone, it might look like she didn't care. To me, that was the best way of caring, just being there. And and I used to just watch movies with her, listen to songs and fight with her like normal. And that really, really helped. Number two, again, I think like financial support, my company and my husband's company, they were like super, super helpful. So I think that was there. Doctors were fantastic. The people who did the surgery, the people who spoke to me. So I think I was super lucky and also reading about it later. So, um, so yeah, so I got out, out of the first hospital on November 22nd, moved to the second hospital. Then I got out of the second hospital on in uh, December 18th. So I actually celebrated my birthday in the hospital, had people come over, video being sent. It was really fun. So these are things I remember. Uh, came out of the hospital and then I had to undergo oxygen therapy at uh, the Naval Hospital because that's one of the few places where you have this oxygen therapy. And that's actually for the gangrene to sort of try and help the body push as much blood uh, to the extremities as possible so you can save as much of your, uh, you know, limbs. Just explain that for a bit, little bit. Just explain what is gangrene and what had happened. Okay, so gangrene is basically where, uh, okay, again, not a medical definition. So what I had was dry gangrene. Uh, you, most people have heard of the term gangrene when it comes to diabetes. Uh, so what happens in gangrene is, so there is no blood supply to a particular area. 
which means the, the capillaries die. Uh, and they are super tiny at the, the tips, right? So your fingers and your toes, etc. So obviously, if there's no blood supply, the flesh starts rotting from inside. So your flesh, your bones, your nerves and everything is basically dead. So it literally looks like, like a zombie, like black wood is what you're carrying around. So the only, there's, there's no other way other than amputation. So, you know, you don't get an infection and it doesn't spread and then you end up using more. So uh, that is what is gangrene. And uh, obviously, I was advised amputation. But then also I was advised to consider other options. Uh, so I did everything. So I did homeopathy. I did this oxygen therapy, like I said. But you're sitting in a cubicle, which uh, is uh, pressurized and uh, you basically take in 100% oxygen. So that's supposed to help the body push out new blood and possibly put, uh, let help new cells form. Um, so that happened. Uh, and then after that, uh, so I was like, okay, let me take a call. December, uh, Jan happened. And then, uh, so I came back home. Uh, and I think that was a very, very difficult period in my life because, and I don't know if that's going to be part of the next, and I'll possibly talk about it until the surgery, right? So I came back home for that interim period and uh, I actually didn't want to leave the hospital, right? Because there I had nurses taking care of me and uh, food was given to me and I had people fawning over me, etc. And I'm like, okay, look, I'm suddenly going to go home. What's going to happen? How am I going to take care of myself? So I was really, really scared. But finally I said, okay, fine, let me do it. Let me see what happens came back home and then uh, everyone was like, no, no, you'll need a nurse to take care of you, et cetera, et cetera. So I had somebody come in for five days and then I, she ran away because I don't think she could tolerate my, you know, do this, do that, or I don't want you to do this, or I don't want you to do that. And then I ended up doing everything myself, uh, you know, with, with a little bit of help here and there, of course, like I had family helping me out, but I managed to do a lot of things. Uh, of course, I still couldn't walk as much, but I managed to do quite, quite a bit of things, including uh, having a bath and things like that. So yeah, uh, and uh, at this point, I think I'm still not mentally ready to get an amputation done. So I did a trip to Pune. Uh, my sister was there and she's like, look, uh, there's this uh, person that I know who uh, sort of maybe you can speak to, a spiritual healer kind of a person. She's like, maybe you can just speak to uh, him uh, and uh, maybe it'll help you. So in my head, I'm like, okay, let me try it out. I went and I, I had a chat and it was kind of like this whole childhood therapy that they do, right? Uh, I forget what it's called now. Regression therapy. Regression therapy, yeah. And at the end of it all, not like a magical thing, but I, I was kind of prepared to go through with the amputation. Uh, so then I came back and said, okay, fine, this is what I'm going to do. And then I had my first amputation surgery where they did um, three limbs. So both uh, one hand and both the legs. Uh, both the feet, uh, sorry. And I was actually supposed to go back home and come back for the second surgery. But luckily after a week, almost week to seven, uh, 10 days, I, I pretty much healed. Uh, so doctors, I might just do your second surgery and go back. And um, like I tell you, so in every aspect, I was so lucky that my surgery just got done. Three days later, uh, that Saturday, people got know about the whole COVID thing. Uh, the Maharashtra lockdown was announced on that Sunday. So I actually got back home on that Saturday. Oh, wow. You know, I can't begin to tell you how I was lucky in so many ways, right? Like, for example, this whole surgery, like I said, so I've had uh, most of my toes on the left leg, uh, all my toes and a little below on the right leg gone. But I have my metatarsals. So I can actually walk without support, without limping. I, I think these are like the little things that I'm so happy for because everything that I read, there are people who've lost both their legs, both their hands or all four. You know, and I'm like, okay, look, that's not happened. I'm actually able to walk around and do things that I want to. Uh, yes, there is a lot of pain. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been a year since my surgeries, right? But And there's still pain? There is a lot of pain. You know, some of the wounds have not healed because uh, I think on the right leg, they actually had to take a graft from my thigh and uh, cover it because it was not enough skin cover. So that is 
literally taking forever to heal, right? Um, so I'm doing that, I'm doing physio, a lot of things. Like I'm, I'm actually able to type now because I have one third of my fingers left in my right hand. I have my thumb. So that's the first thing the doctor said. They're like, look, you're really lucky because you're a right-hander and you have your right thumb intact and you have most of your right fingers, like one third of it intact. So, and I can work without a prosthetics. Technically, I can. I mean, I can't do like rock climbing, etc. But I can do my basic regular things. I can cook, I can do all that. So, like, I just feel that I've been very, very lucky throughout. This is, the whole experience, right, has helped me realize, I think just being grateful is so important. I think that's the number one thing that I have taken out of it. Other things is just, you know, life is short and I should really not care a damn. So, for example, music was a huge part of my recovery, right, apart from people, etc. But music was such a huge part of my recovery. I went into the musical theatre to the surgical theater, singing one of my favorites, Feeling Good by Nina Simone. I was actually singing that. And you won't believe when I was coming out and I was high, like on whatever drugs they'd given me, I was actually singing out loud, right? And like, I don't know. I mean, I must have embarrassed people around me. But I was like singing loudly and the surgeons are like, and I can hear the doctor saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I know you feel good. It's okay, it's okay and all that. So, I mean, and when I was sad, I had a song. It all sounds very filmy, right? But it really helped me. Like I had a couple of songs and I was sad. When I was feeling low, I would sing some, uh, listen to some song to give me strength. So I think it, and then, and this really helped me to, like now, right? Earlier I used to be so self-conscious about singing. Like I've learned music. And uh, like I was told by one of my music teachers when I was really young that uh, I have a very bass voice. And they're like, oh, but uh, you know, you sing too low for a girl. And uh, and I used to get, keep getting wheezing and bronchitis. So from my regular voice, it would be like, uh, it would be like that. And uh, so it, that totally put me off. When I did sing, I was very conscious. But now I'm like, I care a damn, you know, like I, I, I go out, I sing. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, so I think that's really helped me. Third thing is just, just fears, right? So I have this fear of claustrophobia, really. I don't know if you've heard of a tracheostomy, right? So they did a tracheostomy on me, maybe two, three days after I woke up. Most harrowing thing I've ever gone through in my, it was so horrible. It was so horrible. Even, you know, even being in the surgical theater and post the amputation, I could actually smell the burnt gangrene. Even that was okay compared to the whole tracheostomy because they, they place like a sheet over your face uh, so your nose uh, your mouth etc is covered and you can't breathe because they're literally holding your nose and your mouth down and then they just take this thing and stab you right here where you can see that mm. scar there right like mm. the, mm. whatever they just stab you there and you can see the blood splatter and you can't breathe you can't talk I can't talk because you know my vocal cords are shut so that was like such a nightmare and every day they would come to because the tube would get dirty, right? So all your muck, all your saliva, etc. goes in and gets trapped in. So then you start choking. And uh, then they come in and like open the valve and water and clean it. It was harrowing every time they, they just screw it into your throat. And it was just horrible, right? But yeah, so like I say, I think my fear of claustrophobia is now, I'm like over it. <laughs> you know, so I think these are like some of my lessons through this. And uh, like I said, I mean, I didn't see any other option, right? For me, it was just like, focus on the little things, little by little, move, improve, have a plan because I mean, you can't be optimistic without and, and be stupid, right? You can't just say, okay, I'm going to sit here, I'm not going to do my physio, but I'll, I'll be fine. That doesn't work, right? I mean, you have to be sensible, you have to be proactive, put in the work. But I think if you do that and then focus on the little things, yeah, I think no one can stop you. <laughs> I, think, I love yeah. it. Because you just outlined 
the perfect way of getting out of a rock bottom moment and nothing compares to a rock bottom moment like this, right? Waking up one day, a life completely turned upside down. No clue where you are, right? Medical emergencies might have died, come out and then amputations. So you're not yourself. But the way that you told us about it, you know, take every single moment, take it step by step, find the little joys. Like you said, find the gratitude in everything that's happening. There are going to be ups and downs, like you said about the tracheotomy, which is like a scary thing to happen in the middle. So it's a, there was an up, then there was a down and you will have these issues. But the thing is that you have to keep slowly, slowly trudging along. And I think what we were talking about is that your attitude is something that makes a big, big, big difference in your recovery and in the way that you get out of any rock bottom that you're in. So Ashdel, it's like this, right? I mean, if you go and tell a person who's really depressed that, oh, have a better attitude. I mean, you've got to change yourself. It may not work. So I honestly think, like I said, I went through something really bad, but my environment was really good, right? Like on the contrary, if I go through something good, like if let's say I win something, but my environment is really bad, like let's say nobody acknowledges it or people are like, yeah, what the hell? That's still going to be a really bad experience for me. So like I said, I am definitely, definitely fortunate. Uh, Maybe everyone is not as fortunate as I am, possibly. Like, so for example, I'm looking at prosthetics for fingers, right? So finger prosthetics are not very developed. So you do have hands and legs and, uh, you know, full hands, etc., which sort of give you that sort of functionality which you had earlier, or at least close to that. But fingers, it's a bit difficult, but that's sort of evolving and we've come across some really interesting options. So the fact that I have access to that, I'm, I'm super grateful. But then again, it's, it's back to the whole, uh, like I said, I've been reading so much about the whole mind-body connection. If you want something, you can get it. I think you just need to will yourself and, and the universe will listen for lack of sounding like some fake guru, baba, whatever. But I think it is true, right? I'm living proof of it. Uh, I know that complaining, cribbing didn't get me anywhere. Uh, but on being grateful, a lot of your tips helped me. Uh, you know, I don't write it down in a diary, but I sort of mentally go through it every night, every morning. I get some sort of a, like a panic attack or an anxiety attack. You know, I realize it's okay. I try to let it pass. The other very important thing, like I said, is mental health is so important because you might be the fittest that you are, but if your mental health is not okay, you're you're just not going to be able to do anything, right? So it's okay to get help. I think we should definitely focus on getting ourselves better mentally. So you may be relatively okay, right? You may not be somebody who gets panic attacks or anxiety or depression attacks, etc. But I think you still need to do little things that spark joy, right? Like do do something for yourself. You don't want to meditate, it's okay, but sit quietly and, and reflect. Maybe spend time in nature, maybe go out and cycle. So I think these things are really, really important. And that is something which I've learned, uh, I've experienced, and I've found that it's really helped me through this process. So... Yeah, I think it's like a combination of different things, but ultimately it stabs him, right? And and also, it's uh, so important to, I think if you are loving, I think you will get that back in return. And, and that's again, something which I've seen and learned because of this experience. So yeah. I'm clapping at that last point. Absolutely brilliantly put. Sapna, thank you so much for sharing this with us. I absolutely, you know, love the way that you put down these points and expressed it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know this is going to help a lot of us listening to this podcast right now. I really hope so, yeah. And we're going to do a second podcast. We're talking about now what happens next, right? Especially once you're coming home, now you have a new world. What happened then? So guys, please join us for the second podcast. It's going to happen very soon. Thank you so much, Arjun, for having me. Pleasure. 
Thank you, Sapna. Sapna, how can people get in touch with you if they want to, you know, talk to you or ask you something? Uh, so I'm on Instagram as the vegetarian vagabond. Not judge me. I came up with that handle when I was really young. But uh, yeah, the vegetarian vagabond. Vegetarian hyphen vagabond. Yeah. Is there a dot or a hyphen or underscore? It's an underscore. Yeah. Hmm. The underscore vegetarian underscore vagabond. Okay, lovely. All right. You can get in touch with her there. Superb. Thank you, Sapna. Thanks, Ajin. See ya. Bye. So start these habits and share with us your progress using the hashtag #TheHabitCoach. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app. or ivmpodcast.com you can also follow us on social media we are at ivm podcasts on twitter and instagram if you want to reach out to me i am ashtin doc on twitter and instagram you can find lots more information on my website awesome180.com or check out different content on my youtube channel called awesome180 that's awesome180